Hey, what's up guys? Thank you so much for checking this video out. It really does mean a lot to me that you've clicked on it to give it a try. I really hope that you do enjoy this episode. Today, I spoke with Tom Hanafy. Tom Hanafy spent 40 years of his career at Indianapolis Fire Department. During that time, he was the local 416 president, and he is also currently the PFFUI president for the state of Indiana. In this episode, we speak on a lot of different topics. Also, both of our ADD and ADHD kicks in. I apologize in advance, but it's actually a very informational and educational episode. So I really hope that you guys enjoy it. If you do, please like, leave a little comment down at the bottom, subscribe to the channel if I do good enough, and then hit the notification bell. That way you get notified whenever I make new content. You're happy, I'm happy, and we get to have cool people on like I got to talk to today. And also, if you guys have any uh, advice for me on how I can get better and what I should do, uh, I'll take it into consideration. Just please either, you know, DM me or just put it down in the comment and I'll try to do the best I can. I really hope you enjoy this episode. Thank you. How was your drive here? Was it a long drive or a short drive? Short drive. Short drive? Yeah, just, just run right down the interstate and uh, from downtown. I live downtown Indianapolis. Okay, very cool. So, Mr. Tom Hanafy. Can I just call you Tom Hanfield or is it Mr. Just call Tom me Tom. <laughs> yes, sir. Um, please tell me about yourself. So you're from New York. Yeah, and I, I, um, I grew up in New York City, uh, Queens, and um, lived there through went to high school. After I got out of high school, kind of uh, was ready to go to CCMY. I was all signed up, ready to, uh, re- ready to go. And um, just didn't, didn't feel the desire really, wasn't that excited about it. So um, I was walking down the street and popped in a recruiter's office and uh, signed up for the U.S. Army mm. and got a three-year hitch in the uh, U.S. Army. Thank you. Um, oh, welcome. Thank you. It was my pleasure. Uh, looking back, it was a great uh, privilege to do that. But um, so I, I stayed, I didn't go overseas, and we didn't have any war zone. We were coming back from Vietnam. It was back in, uh, 70, in 1973, and we'd come back from Vietnam back then, which was interesting. Um, time to be in the military. Uh, and I worked in a hospital and just uh, it was a great experience. Got me, I, I, I always like to say that's how I escaped from New York. Um, I got out of the city, and I, uh, which I thought, of course, like most New Yorkers, was the center of the universe when I was, uh, went in the service. And after getting out of there and getting around and then winding up in a Newport, in Fort Eustis in Newport News, Virginia, working at the hospital there, I uh, realized after about six months not bad you know it's not bad to not live um, as one teacher described uh, living on top of each other smelling each other all day long mm-hmm. and so uh, you know I never I never was on a beach went down was a buddy that, uh, that was with uh, in the service from North Carolina we went down to the Yanger Banks I didn't know there was a beach that you didn't have to step over people to get to the water <laughs> so you live and learn so anyway I mean you know I'm, I'm saying this but I mean it I mean, so, so anyway, so I was, I was raised by a single mom. My dad died when I was very young. Mm-hmm. He was an Irish immigrant, emigrated uh, when he was about 20 years old. And, um, and then he, he had a, it died in an industrial accident. So wow. she raised uh, the four of us in Queens by herself. So. Good for her. That so one of, the, yeah, one of the questions you put, yes. you put on this page was, um, and I thought about a lot, who's your hero? And I really don't have heroes, you know. I don't sports figures, or certainly not politicians. Um, <laughs> but uh, but I so I don't really have heroes. But I really thought a lot about that question, and you know, the one hero I have is my mom. I mean, she's unbelievable. 
That's sweet. So you said you have three other brothers? Uh, I, no, I have uh, three. I have three older sisters. Once three older deceased. sisters. Yes, and uh, she was the youngest, and they are uh, good, all good people, and uh, and you know they're all hard workers. All have good work ethics. My mother, Marguerite, she gave us all um, belief in a higher power and a, a work ethic. And like I tell people, if she, if we inherited a million dollars, a billion dollars from her, she couldn't have given more important gifts than uh, those two things. That work ethic and that uh, just a belief in a higher power is very comforting for me. That works for me. I'm not saying it's for everybody, but it works for me. And it's uh, through my life that's uh, been a kind of a, the anchor, you know, that, that's whole, the whole thing of, like I said, having, having something beyond this. Beyond, yeah, beyond this, having that. So and that gives me comfort and helps me through difficult times, and we've had difficult times mm -hmm. in, uh, in the fire service. Uh, you know, when you go through line of duty deaths or, or friends passing from cancers, um, you got, I, I, it, it's very comforting for me to have that. So, so, so anyway, so that's uh, how I got here. So that's where I yeah. got, so we got out of the service. I wound up, uh, um, had a resume out, and I wound up working, um, got an invitation to come work at the Nearing Side Multi-Service Center, work in social services, and uh, which is now the Bonner Center. It's on East 10th Street in Indianapolis, downtown Indianapolis. So I uh, worked there for a couple years, started going to school full-time and waiting tables, and then the guy said, Tommy, you should... Uh, you should come down there taking applications at the fire department, the guy I was waiting tables with. And I said, mm -hmm. uh, you know, why should I do that? He said, uh, well, because my brother's a firefighter and he's pretty happy. And so I went down and applied. It was just a few blocks, headquarters was a few blocks from where I was living at the time. And uh, so I went and applied and I wound up getting on the fire department. I was never in a firehouse in my entire life until I walked into a firehouse in Indianapolis Fire Department uh, at, towards the end of training. And I've uh, been pretty fortunate. Maybe that's part of that belief in a higher power. So. Definitely, I think definitely God's got his hand in a lot of things. I think so. It's, it's really helped me out. I mean, as when you talked about loss of other firemen, loss of friends, it's, it's really helped me, especially with runs. I've, I've not had a whole lot of runs, but with some of the ones that I've had that have been more tragic, man, it, I couldn't imagine being by myself. I mean, th I have my wife, thankfully, also around. Yeah. But I couldn't do it on my own. There ain't no way. Ain't no way I could do it on my own. So no, what motivated? No, um, there's nothing worse than uh, some of the some of the things you see, you know, uh, on the fire service, and and which which brings me to back to the fire, to the service, which is uh, um, during when I was in the military, I told you it was towards the end of Vietnam, mm -hmm. so I was working with all these um, all these Vietnam vets. And they were a lot of fun. They were uh, really interesting people, characters, you'd call them, uh, I guess, in a way. And we, we, we worked hard and played hard. Uh, and um, we all had, we had you know, like I said, it was hospital work, so you had different schedules. And you went out, and, and uh, we, we, I got into running and biking back then. And uh, with uh, some of these guys, they were, they were working out hard um, and, um, and, and playing hard in the evenings and, and off time. And, uh, and then, in, in, you know, like, but a little bit crazy. Mm -hmm. So I wound up, uh, like a story I just told you, I wound up after I worked at the center and it was in the school and then wound up in the, on the fire department in 1980. 
and I'm working with these guys in the firehouse. And they're all, a bunch of them, well, they got hired, they were in Vietnam. And now about, and, and they were a lot of fun, and it was, it was a similar, similar personalities. And it took me to about 15, 20 years ago. So remember, my career spanned mm-hmm. 40 years. Yes, 40 uh, years. Yeah, so I, um, you know, and all of a sudden I realized, well, I the, now I realized what was going on. These people were self-medicating, and, um, and they were going, dealing with their demons. And that's a interesting today that we're discovering. And the whole, you know, we're talk, now talking about PTSD, finally, after many, many years. Mm-hmm. I, I, well, after a lifetime, my lifetime. Um, and you um, finally recognizing that the things that we have to see need to be dealt with rather than suppressed. Now, we all suppress things certain ways. Um, and that's, that's one of the things I'm, I'm, I'm really proud of what's going on in the fire service, that we, we are finally admitting that um, you know, there, there's consequences to what we see and witness in public safety and in life in general. But, and and you know, many people experience things, but especially in the fire service, you're subject to it. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you haven't had a, a SIDS death and dealt with that, which I have multiple times in my career, um, I can vividly tell you about that run. Or, you know, scraping somebody inside a brains off the interstate, you know? We've dealt with that. Um, I've, dealt with, I've dealt with that. Now, and don't forget, I've been in and out of the firehouse because of my union work. Um, you know, a person that's on the job 40, 30, 40 years, that's in that firehouse every day, all those years, you know, just think about um, the things they've seen and dealt with. So, um, God, we're blessed in one way. At least we have worked with a team of people. Think about those poor police officers. Mm-hmm. They're in that car by themselves. And nobody talk, we don't talk about those things and, and, and as a society. What we want to do is to always talk about what's wrong, not about what's right, and how to make things better. Uh, but I do think, I, you know, when I'm on the street, when I was on the street working, I just retired in July 7th. Congratulations, last by day. the way. Thank you, brother. Thank you. Um, uh, great career. But when I, when um, uh, I'd always, when I was in the middle of the night, I'd walk up and we were on a PI or some kind of run and there'd be, you know, things are winding down and I'd walk up to some young cop and next to him and say, uh, well, when'd you figure it out? And they, they look. What do you mean? So when'd you figure out when you picked up the wrong application? Yeah, you, you know that that, that the fire department. Goes, and, and most of the time they'd say, "No kidding, that's what I should be doing." <laughs> you guys are, you guys have a lot more fun than us, and and in many ways we do. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's uh, it's interesting. We and we have a team that we come back, and we have when you have those. Um, uh, back in the day, um, you'd have that run that traumatic run that went through a lot um the old guys the old the old the old the old heads would say okay let's everybody get in here and talk about the run and and they they were disguising as talking about tactics but those old guys were watching people Mm -hmm. seeing how they were reacting see if they needed personal help now there was nobody we didn't have dr bob smith or Mm -hmm. or or or, uh, um uh uh, brother dryman uh, chief dryman captain dryman um, to come in and talk to you and, and, and help you deal with that. 
Uh, but that's how, but they would, and it was pretty interesting. And um, Now, sometimes they'd say, let's go get a beer when you get mm-hmm. off at 7 or 8 a.m., but most of the time they didn't. They just kept an eye on you and made sure you were okay. Uh, and, and that was way, one way to do it. But now we're getting a little smarter, and we're measuring people. Um, which brings us to, um, was it uh, two years ago, in, in 2019, we had some uh, a legislation go through in the General Assembly um, dealing with uh, PTSD. We were having a lot of people at the General Assembly, and just one of my roles, uh, maybe I should talk about your roles what, and yeah, who I am, what I, you what I do. Yeah, maybe you, I mean, you hold a lot of so, positions. So, so, well, no. Well, the main thing, so I, I'm, I'm, I was private on the Annapolis Fire Department mm-hmm. for, for over 40 years. I've, um, my whole career virtually has been involved in the union. Um, I got elected early on to the executive board. And I've never been, I've been a member of either the lo- Indianapolis Local 416 Executive Board or um, pe- pe- president of the state union for nearly 20 years now. Um, so my whole career has been uh, um, involved in both uh, as an Indianapolis firefighter, mm-hmm. or and um, and I am going to retire. I'm not uh, from the uh, from the union job next May. I'm not running again from May. I mean, worst thing uh, you, there's life after the fire department, and, and so I'm going <laughs> to I'm going to take advantage of that life. Um, so anyway, uh, we we were. Uh, Real quick on that part, yes. that is very interesting to talk about because I have spoke. Me being a younger guy, I've only got uh, nine years fully, but six years in full time. I've always heard guys saying, "I'm going to do this until the day I die. I'm going to keep doing this until I'm I'm put in a chair. I'm, I'm until they kick me out." And they never talk about what they're going to do after. What yeah. is your plan after? Real quick. Well, obviously that changes. Yes. When I came on the fire department, my my plan was to. Um, work until I was 55 and then go teach school for 10 years and get a second pension. That's my plan. Mm-hmm. I wasn't going to do this forever and, um, and get a second pension. You know, that was, mm-hmm. you know, my hero, my mother, my Mar- Margarita, my Marguerite Hanafi, um, when I was a little kid told me many times, now tell me you want to, you want to get a, a job, a city job because you never get laid off and you have a pension. Mm-hmm. Who knew she, 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 who knew I'd listen to her? She is a smart woman. She was a smart woman. She really was. Um, So don't forget, she came from an immigrant family Mm -hmm. and married, you know, an Irish immigrant. And that's, you know, and um, they worked construction, Mm kind of like the immigrants do today. Similar, a lot of parallels between my family and the people uh, we we see around today working in in, uh, in the uh, construction industry. More anyway, the, more of the labor industry than the labor. Guys that yeah, that's what my, that's my dad. Yeah. My dad was a laborer. In fact, he worked. Mm-hmm. In, he wound up when he, once he started having a family. He said, "I got to get out of construction because you're being laid off um, every you know every winter." Mm-hmm. And he um, and uh, he worked. He worked the factory, which who knew that's where that's where he'd get killed. You know, in that mm-hmm. factory. But um, you know, those jobs back in the fifties were not. It's not as safe as they are. No, no, no. I'm at, I, you know I'm not sure. There, I'm pretty sure there wasn't. OSHA in 19. <laughs> OSHA would have had a heart attack yeah, walking yeah. there. Well, it was the, 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 uh, his place, the, I remember going when I was a little kid. Uh, he'd take me there. He died when I was uh, five. Oh. And I remember taking me on Saturday. I'd go check, or Saturday to go check the boiler in the factory. That was one of his jobs, worked the boiler room. And, um, and I remember it was pretty interesting. And 
um, the little bit I remember of it. And, uh, and that's, and that's where we got killed when the place blew up. Which is amazing where we've come to today with the workplace safety. Cause I had a, a great, I had a great, a great grandfather who was a miner down in Kentucky or Virginia, one of those. And he had his leg blown off in a collapse and that, there no safety back then, but there was no safety. And there, you know what? There was no safety net. Correct. He just had to find another way to make yep. a living. You're, hey, you got to get going. You know, yeah, you had to. Keep he made moving. his own wooden leg. Yeah, <laughs> that, I, you, you had to. You know, had to figure out a way to, uh, to feed your family. Mm-hmm. And um, and I think I think there's a little bit of that history that drove me into the uh, union work. So anyway, we were off on. A, I'm getting off on tangents. Sorry, as, as I, I, I am too. But it's so interesting. You have such an. I think you're a very well, interesting person. Well, yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. You're <laughs> but, uh, but but the point is, so I'm 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 the state president, and one of my yes. roles is go out and assist, and assist locals. We now have 90 departments around the state of Indiana, career career and combination departments that we represent, um, and we help them with their issues locally, um, mostly give advice and legal help, give legal mm-hmm. assistance, and uh, and and. And, uh, and share information um, and training. We, we, we do a lot of training for the, uh, st- with, through the state union. Uh, take a little, talk a little bit about our training coming up yes. um, in uh, this, this uh, winter during the session. Um, but, and then also I'm the lead lobbyist for the Professional Firefighters Union of Indiana. Mm-hmm. So I lobby the state house. Uh, Mike Whited, my vice president and I, are what you call compensated lobbyists. Um, and that's the technical term. You file, we file the paperwork you're supposed to file and reports. And then we also brought on um, uh, a third person, uh, Tony Murray, a few years ago. He is a firefighter paramedic out of Noblesville and uh, on the executive board and a longtime paramedic. So um, if you haven't sat through the health committees where we EMS issues go, um, they can be pretty tedious, so I roped Tony into sitting through those, and uh, we got him as to be a lobbyist. Smart, and smart, also, smart we wanted, move. yeah, it was a smart move, oh man, yeah. My ADD kicks in, and I, those uh, six, seven-hour uh, committee meetings are tough on me. But um, he does a nice job, and is well-recognized now at the State House um, for his uh, work specifically in that committee, but even more than that. So we have three of us now, but Mike and I, um, do the principal lobbying. So getting back to um, PTSD. Mm-hmm. So we were looking at the pension. And one of the, one of the things are, uh, as in, that we have to our concerns at the State House is protecting our pension. Get online. Look at what's going on in some of the pension systems around the country. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they... Um, City of Chicago just threatened to uh, remove some of the health, I believe, the health care from the officers who are wanting to retire early or part of their pensions, which... Pensions are mm-hmm. continually... It, this, people now all of a sudden, they know how to do the math. Mm-hmm. And we, we did some things, and, and, and some of it is firefighters' fault as, as organizationally. Um, you know, but a lot of it was politicians um, being expedient. Um, you know, the, the state of Kentucky... Uh, gave up that they lost their defined benefit plan several years ago uh, because it was underfunded and they now new hires are in a defined uh, uh, defined uh, contribution plan and you know which is can be good can be good if you survive but if you don't in fact I've taken time and I have run the numbers for me 
And if I had a defined contribution plan, um, I probably would have, you know, going back, looking at the numbers, if I invested the money, if I did everything right, um, I would probably, my pension would be higher. I'd say probably 15 to 20% higher a year. Can you and, explain what that is to the guys that are, sure, that sure. don't defined, understand what it is? A defined contribution plan is a 401. Mm-hmm. Basically, uh, you put so much in the department or city or, or, or township, whatever, you know, your entity puts some more, does some kind of match and you have this money. And it's your money. So if you leave, you take it with you. And that's a, like a 401. Um, and, and again, uh, you know, um, that can be lucrative if you do everything right. Um, not everybody is great with money and a great money manager. Mm-hmm. The, um, and, and you you suffer the ups and downs of the market. So um, you, or, or in Indiana, we have a defined uh, benefit plan, which you know what your benefit is. You know what it's going to cost you, what you're going to pay. We know the city has to pay the ARC. The, uh, the, actual, the, 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 um, the ARC is the amount they're required uh, by the actuaries to pay. Um, and it, and that will change. That will change uh, the through perf. They'll look. And does at, it also change through the market, whether the market's good or bad? Well, well when the market goes bad, yes. They they <laughs> then then the city the the legislators can change ours. We pay six percent, and we're responsible for six percent. Some departments cover some of that, some don't. Mm-hmm. Um, but we, you and I, uh, put that six percent in. The city puts. When I came on, it was twenty one percent. Then it dropped down to, which is substantial oh, contribution. Um, it, 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 it's changed, and that is, change, is determined uh, how that changes uh, by the Board of Trustees for IMPERS, which we often call changed. It was IMPERS now. It used to be called PERF. And that's that. so the Board of Trustees, of which we have a firefighter, a member, uh, Mike Pinkham, a retired uh, Fort Wayne, uh, battalion chief out of Fort Wayne, and the secretary-treasurer, of the state union, uh, our organization, serves on that board. He's appointed by um, that appointment. There's a public safety appointment on that board, and that's appointed by the uh, Speaker of the House. Um, they have terms. I believe it's four-year terms. Speaker of the House for Indiana? For or, Indiana. Okay. For Indiana, yes. The Indiana Speaker of the House. And Brian Bosma appointed um, uh, uh, Mike Pinkham when he was Speaker. Okay. And then he got reappointed, I think, last year. So he's he has those terms. He's he serves and and um, that when he you know he won't do that forever. Then mm-hmm. there'll be another public safety person in there. We won't. That's up to the speaker. We'll obviously have some input um, then, along with the FOP and some recommendations, and we'll see what happens. But uh, but finally, the, um, we Mitch Daniels did that for us. We we didn't have a representative on there, and when Mitch Daniels and uh, um, and they changed the law of the pension laws, uh, they we. We negotiated and got a person on there. Uh, you know, a little support goes a lot, long way. Mm-hmm. So anyway, um, so a defined benefit plan is you know what you have, and it's and it's it's defined. So you know that at 20 years that you and uh, at 52 years old you can collect a pension at 52 percent. Was 50 percent a couple of years ago? We moved it to 52 percent the benefit, um, and and then you know you max out at 76% at 32 years. So you know that, and it's based on your pension base, um, which we just changed that mm-hmm. to a 25-year private, up to a, up to a 25-year private. Uh, prior to that, prior to last year, um, or this 
Uh, last year, it was uh, a 20-year uh, private. So, um, so anyway, so you know, so you can count on that. So that's kind of a, and, and as I always tell our members, the, the pension is a good pension, but nobody's getting rich on it. And you got to plan. You got to plan other things. You got to do some other smart things. Real quick, can I add for the guys that don't understand that? Because I know for some of the newer guys at my department, we don't get that is considered from longevity pay. Yes. Correct. Long, longevity. Tw the 25 year up. The, 20, the reason why you want to up it from 20 to 25 is because of long. Yes. Oh, we, we, yes. Okay. Yes. You want to, you want to, you want to have, that's what you want. You want longevity. Pay. Okay. And, um, and, and so longevity pay matters. Sorry. I interrupted. That, no, you're not interrupting. I wanted me. to make sure that the younger guys, cause I know I don't get that. Anymore, Matt, you got to remember what I said earlier. Yeah. Um, if you don't interrupt me, you'll never get a word in. <laughs> so let's, let's be, let's be honest. I don't think you're that far, um, much different than me though. Uh, I have ADHD. I was diagnosed with it too. And I don't take my, I, I take my meds if my doctor's asking. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, um, so so um, so anyway, the, so you you that's the defined benefit plan. So coming back once again um, <laughs> to get off the ADHD um, uh, to um, so so PTSD. Yes. So having a defined benefit. So we had people applying, a lot of uptick in people, which makes sense because we're learning about this this um, uh, PTSD. But the other thing is. PTSD is considered a treatable disease. And what was happening, people were retiring, get, applying for the pension for these, for, this, uh, for these psychological traumas, or these traumas we saw and witnessed and, and dealt with, and, I, and you know, real traumas that, that, that um, um, people were living with and weren't coping with well. So we, um, we told them, at, and we said, we need to, these people need to get help. They, we, the city would just send them off to the pension and they would um, cut them off. Well, this is a class one disability and the city has a responsibility over the, the department or the municipality, uh, the local unit, I guess, has a responsibility to service that illness or injury. And they're required to do that. Now, how you do that exactly, you know, is it with, between you and your, and your, your, you and your, mm -hmm. that department and the physician, attending physician. Could that possibly get abused by some people? Well, that was. and that yeah. for, So first of all, so we this uptick, I think there was some abuse, uh, possible abuse. I can't, you know, I don't know. I'm not yeah, a, it's all speculation. Sure, I'm not, yeah. I'm not, but, but it was a huge uptick. People, a lot of people all of a sudden getting these PTSDs. I think um, uh, PERF was um, not scrutinizing, didn't put the resource to scrutinize them all properly. So we, we had some legislation for two things. Number one, when people get a class one disability through on, uh, on uh, psychological or PTSD, that they continue to get help. They need to get help and hopefully to come back to work. Most people love this job mm -hmm. and, and want to work. They don't want to retire and they want to come back if they're able. So, so they got to, they got to do some things. They got to get some help. And the city has then that by law, that's the city's responsibility or the local unit's responsibility to offer that. Um, so that was the first thing. And the second thing is we wanted, we, there, there was some abuse. I believe there was some abuse of that law that there were some people kind of faking it. You know, how do you measure? As I quote the quote, the movie, I see dead people, you know, how do you, yeah. how do you measure that? You can't. And if a person, 
um, a person can mm-hmm. fake that. So and the reason why I've, I asked that question is because I used to know somebody who I got to know really well. It was a previous uh, relationship. I got to know her really well. And I asked her, I was like, hey, you mind if I ask what happened? And she openly told me. She goes, oh, yeah, no, it's not a real thing. Like she, Because she was in the, she was getting a disability benefits from the military. And I said, are you kidding me? Because to me, that robs the people that truly need help. Well, and that was my issue with it, which is why I'm so cautious on it. Well, and, and, But I and, hate to be cautious on it because well, of no, that type I, of stuff. We have people that truly need it. And Correct. we want and, – and the other the other issue, most – Pensions like ours, public safety pensions like ours around the country, most of them did not have a benefit for, for psychological. It wasn't part of it. Mm-hmm. That wasn't a pensionable um, disability. We wanted to preserve that. And people were starting to question it in the, in the General Assembly because they would have friends or neighbors mm-hmm. and they would have complaints or whatever, real, you know, and they... And people were making these, you know, and there was some impressions out that General Assembly that they there may have been abuse out there. So we we worked with uh, Senator Boots out of Crawfordsville, and we introduced this legislation. Number one, to get people that needed help. Number two, preserve that benefit yep. for the people that need it. And number three, um, scrutinize the people that are applying. And I think uh, that happened. There was a little little. Uh, trauma when people, everybody that was off on a dis- on that pension said, hey, you know, what are you doing to get well? And, you know, how are things going? Get a doctor to fill out what's going on. And people were pretty, uh, pretty upset about it. Mm-hmm. We got through all that. We have a pe- couple uh, individuals uh, on that review committee, which is made up of psychiatrists, psychologists, social worker. And so then, it's not just random assortment of people who. No, 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 no. So they, these are people who are qualified, they, who are studied it, who yeah, have. Yeah, this is that's a, their profession. This is, this is an MD, a psychiatrist, okay. a psychologist, and a social worker. A mass, you know, um, mm-hmm. and then we also have subject matter experts on the committee: uh, two firefighters, uh, a firefighter, and a police officer. And then we have a backup firefighter and police officer in, in case they can't make it. So we have a subject matter expert on the committee that reviews, the review committee. And now they're reviewing all of PTSDs through that psychiatrist, so there's a little more scrutiny. Before, there was a neurologist mm-hmm. that was scrutinizing them. And Why would it be a neurologist? Um, uh, sorry. Uh, yeah, low yeah. bid. Oh. <laughs> Government low bid. Yeah. And so that's why, you know. So so anyway, we so now, um, but, but coming back to yes. it's real. And I recognize, and, 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 and in the fire service, we have a lot. And during this debate, um, so Mike Whited, Vice President Whited, and I uh, went out to lunch with um, the committee chair in the House as this bill was moving along. I'm having this conversation with, uh, um, with, with the representative. And, um, he, and uh, so I'm, I'm talking to him about, um, you know, I live downtown Indianapolis, and most of my career, I've worked downtown Indianapolis, you know, and I say, you know, so I'm, when I'm driving, I, I go drive by these intersections, these buildings, um, these, and, and, and vividly remember these situations. We all do, you know. Um, I know you grew up in the community you work in and mm-hmm. live in the community you work in. I know you relive those things when you go by those, yes. those, those scenes, those, those locations. Yes. Um, Every time, and but as I every time, and I, but but where is it? Where do you put that? And um and where do you store it in your memory? I said, mm-hmm. and, and I and I told him, I said, you know, I'm 
I can just vividly describe that person or what happened to that person, what it looked like, where it was, who, who I was with. I said, but I'm not having breakfast with him. I'm not waking up dreaming about him. Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't know why. Maybe um, whatever. I don't. But there are people that do, and I can understand why they do. And that's why we need to make sure we keep this benefit and not lose it, make sure that the people get it are legitimate, and the people that are legitimate have a, continue to get help to get better because nobody wants to go through that. Um, that has to be miserable. And, um, and, and I'll tell you what else. In our profession, the fire service, I'd be sure if you go through, I don't care if you're in a suburban department, um, if you go through a 20 or 30 year career, you have some signs and symptoms of PTSD. It's how you're able to manage it, you know, and how you, and generally it's, um, they tell you it's, it's an exercise regime um, and family and good friends and healthy lifestyle. That's how you deal with those kind of stresses. But some people are more susceptible than others. Mm-hmm. You know, their child, what childhood trauma you went through might have an impact on it. But anyway, so um, I got off on that PTSD, but I uh, started talking about legislation. And, um, and, that, and that's some of the things that I do, um, that I work on. At the, Mike and I work at the General Assembly, and it's been, that takes a lot of time. The other thing we do is um, political action. So if right now they drew new maps, I was there for some mm-hmm. of the debate. It's interesting. If you're a political junkie, it's worth sitting, sitting through. Um, I enjoy that stuff. Yeah, but but yeah, um, that means you're you're, you're half nuts. Um, <laughs> so so, but listening to debates, but but you so um you know the maps and, and everybody no matter who who which which whatever side draws them mm-hmm. or whoever draws them, somebody's going to not like them. Even if you have an independent group draw them, people mm-hmm. going to criticize them. It's just the way it is. But um, I, I watch the process pretty closely, um, and the and the legislators I think they were pretty sincere overall um, about. How, how they they, they drew them, um, but so but now people are in different districts. They they slightly changed those districts, and mm-hmm. they've changed. And so now, right now, is a good time for our members to be politically active in in the uh, next year's legislative races. Now, as you know, um, most because of people live gather together that think that think more alike. Um, most races are in May. You know, I, I, this is a number of years ago, but I went through out of the 150 legislators, 100 uh, state representatives and 50 senators, there's less than 20 competitive races in November. The real races are in the primaries. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if you're in a, let's say, a community like uh, Carmel, um, that's where, if you, and you want to make a difference in that, in that state reps um, race, you get involved in May. Mm-hmm. You know, or in Gary, Indiana. Um, you know, you you know, it's going to be you know more. It's going to be a Democrat. Yeah. And um, so you get involved in that. Because in larger, in a lot of larger cities, sorry to interrupt again. In a lot of larger cities, they tend to be more Democrat, Democrat and, run. Yeah, actually. In the, Which and, another question I do have. And, and, well, I, in the suburban okay, and, and rural areas. Uh, or t- tend to be Republican. It's just yes. the nature of a beast. And and those and those districts, to because one of the one of the things in the districts they have to be, be uh, concise. They have to be tight. Mm-hmm. You know they can't you can't they have in the past 
have, you know, a, a, a three streets wide, you know, 100 miles to get to the population number. Um, you have to, um, you know, they have to be concise and they have to be common. And the reason is because people have common interests there so the representative can, can uh, represent them, represent their interest. Uh, and and it, it's all in the law. And, and so um, that's why they, mm-hmm. that's one of the reasons they get drawn that way. Um, you know, what would happen if you, if you want to create 50-50 districts? Well, first of all, in Indiana, it would be difficult, but you can make competitive, and let's just use the congressional races. Um, how would you draw um, the, the uh, Congressman Ravan's district up in northwestern Indiana, who's a Democrat, um, Frank Ravan, nice fellow. He's a, a Democrat, took uh, Pete Vesklosky's, uh, um seat. And you'd have to cut that up in pie-shaped format to make it a, um, a, a 50-50 district. Just like if, if Andre Carson's district, if you wanted to make it competitive, you'd have to put him in, into with Hendricks and Boone County probably. I mean, it, you know, it, it, it's, it'd be very challenging to do. And that's, you know, and people, people may com- complain about it. But you also want to have people represent the communities that they serve, the elected official. So I, it's very complex. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm touching on the. No, the, it really, no, it really is something that we could spend hours and hours just talking about that. Well, I, I sat through yeah. hours and hours of that testimony, <laughs> yeah. so I can tell you. I mean, and, and it was uh, some of it was even entertaining. Uh, so what was your next question? I'm sorry. So it's okay. Don't you worry. Uh, so I did have a two two questions. One popped up into my head while we were talking on that. It, do you notice more Democrat support or Republican support? Because obviously, I mean, Democrats more support unions, whether it be privatized or uh, labor unions. Well, I've had. Um, I that's a that's a that's a loaded question, which I'm happy I to do answer. Apologize no, about I, that. I'm happy to answer it. Yeah. Um, so the answer is yes, um, and the answer um, overall at that general assembly. Um, let's talk about the general assembly. First of all, in Indiana, I'm very proud to be a Hoosier. I wasn't born here, but I'm very proud to be a Hoosier. And I'm proud because I watch how things happen there. And, don't, and as they use the analogy, it's like making sausage, and, and it kind of is. Um, you know, you put all these things in, and what comes out the end usually tastes pretty good. Um, but there's a lot that goes into it, mm-hmm. a, lot of, a, lot of, a lot of different things. Um, but we have good relationships with the um, with, with both caucuses, all, all four caucuses. I think um, I think we have good leadership in all four. Um, and I've been, I've I've, I've, I've I don't want to, I've um, I don't want to. Well, I'll use firehouse terms. I've had Republicans slice my throat on an issue, and I've had Re- Democrats slice my throat mm-hmm. on an issue, and that's figuratively, not literally. Um, but so, so somebody will take that and, in the context. And, and you know what happens when I um, when they do that to me, I get over it because mm-hmm. I got to get on the next issue. But I'll start saying about being a Hoosier, being proud. I think there's no there's no revolutions in the Indiana General Assembly. Now, some people may think there should be. Personally, I don't, but you know. I'm, I'm not going to argue with the people that think there maybe you should be. Um, there are, they, but it is an evolutionary process. So, for example, let's talk about a piece of legislation um, from 
six or seven years ago. So I don't know if anybody, any of our, any of the people that listen to this, remember the church fire in Muncie. Well, one of the contributing factors to that to the death of Brother Davis was the um, was was engineered lumber. Now, engineered lumber is everywhere. Um, you know, it's it's the construction. It's 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 a tool. It's a big industry in Indiana. First mm-hmm. of all, um, it's not going away. I mean, it's it's, it's the necessity because you can't find true, you know, uh, lumber uh, anymore. Um, even my homes that are historic, uh, you know, um, hundred and from eighteen sixty, mm-hmm. um, I have in the remodel. I've had to use some engineered lumber. Um, or as some people refer to it, one firefighter, Howard Stahl, referred to it. Oh, see, I see you use the fireman killers. Um, but, uh, but he, uh, he uh, anyway, we, but, but you have, you know, that's what you have yeah. to buy um, unless you spend a tremendous amount of money. Mm-hmm. So, um, but, so now what we did, we worked, we wanted to get notification. If you're running on a house that is, uh, or a, a building that's built with, engineered lumber um, the dispatch should know about it and should be able to tell the people on the way to the run the firefighters on the way to the run let me give you an example at Massachusetts and College Avenue in downtown Indianapolis when we were building the new addition to the Union Hall which is a poured concrete building um, a poured concrete and masonry building you know built well all union contractors um, Caddy Corner, there was a, an apartment building built with a parking garage on the first couple floors. On, and on top of that, um, what appears to be masonry. Well, that's all framed up in engineered lumber. And that, and you wouldn't know it. If you pulled up on either building, you'd assume they're both masonry structures because there's three buildings on that corner, actually another one, that are um, of, of four buildings that are then three of the four are masonry. And this new one is um, has engineered lumber for the living, you know, for the apartments above the parking garage and, and the retail. So, so we we introduced a bill because of, of Scott Davis's uh, death and the situation and the contributing factor of that. Mm-hmm. We brought this to to um, on the General Assembly, and we introduced it. We got killed, <laughs> and you know, like I said, engineered lumber, you know, um, is. Uh, Trusses and all are built big manufacturers in uh, Indiana, mm-hmm. and and I'm happy for our job to have those jobs here in Indiana. They're going to build them somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, so we we built um so 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 we went introduced it, but what we did is we listened. We listened to why people didn't want it, and there were a lot of people opposed to it. You know, obviously, the main group was the Builders Association, mm-hmm. which is a very strong lobby. And we talked to them. We talked to the apartment owners and some other people and that were opposed to it. And we listened. So we came back and we modified our proposal. And we provide the next, the next year. And we changed it a little bit and tweaked it. And we got a hearing. Mm-hmm. So we got on hearing and we got, and again, we had that conversation. And we first, Took four years, and, and a guy named Jim Pressel, out of um, Laporte, Indiana, who is a builder, um, uh, carry, uh, helped us with the bill. Really? How to do it? Yes. And uh, that's and, pretty cool. Very good man. He's a good yeah. person. You was one time he was uh, 
Uh, he's a state rep. I mean, he's mm-hmm. a state rep, and he before he was one time the uh, president of the Builders Association, and and Jim um, helped us with the legislation, modified some of our ideas. With the idea originally we were going to put tags on um, on the meter boxes. Um, that was in. He goes, and we don't want that. The department owners didn't want it because they, they they said that might indicate some people it's inferior and it's not. It's you know it's the common construction today, and we didn't disagree with that. So then we finally came up with dispatching it, uh, which was you know and so we, and then so it took us four four years and we finally got that bill passed, and that bring that's what I'm trying to say. Um, that's an, it's an evolutionary process. The bill we passed was superior to the bill we introduced four years prior. Because we had dialogue, we had input, and we listened to what their concerns were, and we tried to adjust, address the currents, which is why I do admire and love the process. I will miss that when I retire, you know, after, after next session. And um, that process is, uh, you can call it a game, you can call it whatever you want to do, but it's, it, uh, it's a positive thing for our communities when, you, when people sit down have dialogue and listen. Uh, it's time consuming, but that's you know that's why you have three months and four months in a long session mm-hmm. um, to to spend to do it. And then it's not you don't just stop during the when they're in session. Um, you have those conversations all year long, and um, uh, so so I'm, I, that's why I'm one of the reasons I'm proud of uh, the way we do business in Indiana and that conversation. What have been some of your greatest achievements to yourself in your career? My greatest achievement was surviving healthy. Oh, and, yeah. I'm, you know, not everybody does. And the fact that I have, I have, have uh, had over 40 years when I walked out the door and I have my health. Now I'm not perfectly healthy. I'm, you know, I'm old. But, um, <laughs> and I, and I, and I'm, and, but, but, but I'm, I'm healthy. And that's, uh, but that, you know what, our guys taking care of themselves. I have this conversation. Oh, man. You've got too much. I talk too much. No, um, this is perfect. But, um, when I got in the fire department and I talked about people, a lot of self-medication, a lot, of, a lot going on. Mm-hmm. But there were as a group, and there, some were still alive, some aren't. Uh, a guy named Mike Shank was the local president when I got elected at the same time he did. And he, um, and, um, and I, got, I became a trustee on the executive board. And right away he had an interest in wellness and fitness. And he always did. He was one of these guys that always tried to stay fit um, and, and, and take care of himself. Um, didn't drink excessively, you know, just everything in moderation, you know, the way he's supposed to live. So he, um, but, but he believed that our people could do better. So we, one of our issues at the contract table for Indianapolis Local 416 was um, wellness and fitness. So, so we started negotiating that um, back on the HUDNET administration. Which, uh, um, and we, back in the, in the early mid-80s, we were negotiating about getting a wellness program. And, and uh, nobody, and our members, frankly, I, this was a leadership. Sometimes mm-hmm. you got to lead. And uh, a lot of our members didn't, were questioning, what are we thinking? Well, let me back up. So I don't know if you've ever been down to, um, maybe, uh, down to the Rathskeller. And um, I think once, once, yeah, me too. I've been there once. Um, but you know the old uh, German philosophy of mind and body—that they are—they're together. They're, they're not 
They, you have to have a healthy mind. You have, a health, to have a healthy body and a healthy body to have a healthy mind. And, you know, that's why they were called the Turner's Club. And that's where they started the um, normal school, which was the first PE, PE school, mm-hmm. um, you know, the first uh, physical education schools in, in, in America. And that was, you know, in that whole, um, and the Kellogg's up in uh, Michigan, you know, um, mind and body. So that, that philosophy. So, so Mike, who was Irish, uh, had, um, <laughs> had, had, that, um, had that belief that, um, that, you know, we could, we could do better if we're, if we're fit. And um, so we started working on wellness and fitness, and it evolved uh, through the contract negotiations. And like I said, the members weren't, didn't really understand it. But we wound up with a pretty aggressive wellness fitness program, and, um, uh, and, it, and it's worked really well. And, you, and I, I will tell you, in high, this is all retrospective, um, you know, that the reason... Indianapolis, Local 416, has been successful in many, many ways. Is because we started that back in the 80s. And we, and, and I think the local changed its philosophy. It actually started changing in 1977 when they almost went on strike. It was before my time. And uh, they had the strike vote. And they started changing then because that's when they started getting politically active. The other thing was uh, the wellness fitness program. And people started thinking differently, having uh, and and getting starting to have to work out, or you know, at least answer for not working out, and you'd have to get annual physicals and these things. So so this was I think a di- so it, one of our I think one of our accomplishments, um, my personal accomplishments with your question, uh, I served. So we did this on the Indianapolis Fire Department back in the early '90s. Um, the International uh, Al Whitehead, who just passed away was the uh, president of the uh, International Association of Firefighters, and a guy named Gary Breeze, who now is the, uh, it was the um, uh, executive director of the International Fire Chiefs Association, got together, and, and Gary's out in Colorado now, and he directs the director of the Colorado Fire Chiefs Association. Mm-hmm. And they got together and said, why don't we create a program? And why don't we have 10 cities come together um, and develop what a well, a good, positive wellness program, wellness fitness program for firefighters should look like. So uh, Indianapolis was invited. You had, your, your fire chief had to come and your local president had to come. Now I'll tell you, some of these places, they didn't talk to each other. They didn't even like each other. <laughs> Indianapolis we did all right because Keith Smith was the fire chief mm-hmm. and I was the local president. And uh, our, our, this was probably in 94 or five and our relationship evolved and we, um, we actually roomed together because the city didn't want to pay any money and mm-hmm. the local didn't have any money. I was local president and I spent it all on the building. So we, so we roomed together in the, as we traveled for these meetings. But um, we got together and we, um, and we came up with this, um, um, and, and after two years basically, uh, we designed with these other 10 cities, uh, some of them LA County, Austin, Texas, uh, Charlotte, uh, North Carolina, uh, Fairfax, Virginia, um, uh, Seattle, Washington was involved. Um, I, 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 if I thought about it a little more, I could come up in and out. So I had six. So and we would meet, and I'm telling you what, we'd go come in for two or three days of meetings, all day, arguing about these little fine points, 
you were worn out. It was like yeah. sitting there, three-day union meeting, which was a killer. Um, and we would argue about the finest points. I remember I got up to make some phone calls and was gone for 45 minutes. I came back uh, discussing this one topic. And um, I said, Smitty, how far along will we get? He said, we're in the same place, Tom. <laughs> we, oh but but we, we hammered it out. Yeah. At the end of the day, Indianapolis, I'm proud to say, had 95% of what we came up with we already had in place. Good. We just had to tweak it. And that, so in the meantime, in 1984, we bought that property downtown Indianapolis. I mean, when uh, Mike Shank, again, was the local president. Um, and people thought we were crazy. And we bought that old firehouse, our history. Mm -hmm. um, we saved our history. Old Station 2. And we worked on the building for 10 years in 92. Um, yeah, like 92, 93. Um, I became local president, and we moved into it. We didn't have any heat. It was tight. Um, we had power, but we, and we didn't have any heat or any plumbing. And we moved into it. And people thought we were crazy. But my, my point with the wellness concept was our, our membership started thinking a little different. They started thinking about the future and where we should be. We were located on a nice little building out on West 10th Street, almost a speedway, um, 3,300 square feet, a concrete block building, and, and it serviced us, serviced our needs. But that's not where we did business. We did business right there on Massachusetts Avenue and at the city county building and that state house. And we were a mile, now we're a mile from the state house, almost exactly. We're, uh, we were from headquarters, we're a short walk down the street, two or three blocks, and now they moved it, but still only mm -hmm. two or three blocks. And, um, and that city county building. But I was allowed from when we bought the building and we worked on it all slowly, um, when I was local president, the membership supported moving it um, be, be, at that time because they started thinking different. So you asked about accomplishment. <laughs> Being part of that, well, that early conversation, following those leaders, um, wellness and fitness programs in the fire service, I think has been, for me, I wouldn't say my accomplishment, but it's been part, I've been part of that movement from the beginning. Not that I'm ever, I know I've never uh, been a fitness nut. I ran, I did things, but I, uh, but so that was a huge accomplishment. Um, so, uh, you know, to me, to me um, I had that conversation with uh, Chief Deslin. Louis Deslin's retired now. And I told Louis, the reason we were able to move and move the local along and progress was because we started our people, we got our people to start thinking differently, how to, be, how to think, uh, how, by helping them physically be well, keep their mind better. And I think we've been very successful with that. And, and that's, so anyway, um, got, I can go on. Uh, I can go, the other accomplishment is training. I, for 20 years, I've been bounding, pounding training um, at the State House. They took, um, it was um, uh, during the Biden administration, they were looking for money, and one of, they called it, they called the uh, tax on, ins it was on, on insurance policies. Kentucky still has this tax. I know um, that's why they use it, all that training money. And there's a, I think it was a 1% tax on, on, uh, re on, on your, your insurance policy, your residential insurance policy, uh, and um, that money would go into the fire training 
budget at the, at the fire marshal's office, and they had that money. Well, um, things were upside down in the economy. They were looking for money, and they were trying to figure out how they fund the state, and they said, um, and they took that money, and they took that money and put it into the general fund and did away with the training, any training budget for, fire, for the fire service at the state, at the state fire marshal's office. We, when I got this in this job, I said, you know, we're killing people unnecessarily. And the way you, way you stop killing people is through training. We gotta put some resources into training. And uh, a lot of people still resent it. So I said, I looked around, where can we get some money for a training budget for the state? Especially in small departments. Small departments do not have the resources mm -hmm. to, to, to develop a facility, no less train. I mean, you need, you need some tools to be able to train on and some a, a facility somewhere, in, access to a facility. You don't have to own it necessarily mm -hmm. if you're a 10-person fire department or a combination yes. department or a volunteer department. You needed some access and so in some, you know, in some help. Uh, you didn't have the tax base to support it. So we looked around and, um, and the state was uh, suing the fire service, the, fi the fireworks industry every year for 10 years. They were filing a lawsuit every year. The state fire marshal's office was, uh, was uh, filing a lawsuit to stop fireworks sales in Indiana. Well, I don't know if you noticed, but after 10 years, they were still selling the fireworks. <laughs> now, whether you like fireworks or you don't like fireworks, I, they irritate the hell out of me. I live in an urban center. It's a pain in the ass. But they were selling them, mm -hmm. and they were using them. And, you know, and police couldn't keep up with them if you wanted to arrest them. So um, I said, fine. If we're going to sell them, let's tax them. So I went to the lobbyist for the representing the fireworks industry, and I said, let's, let's see what we can do. Let's put, and I said, I said the dirty word, didn't I? Damn, I'm not a good Hoosier yet. Um, I said tax. User fee. That's what we need. It's a user fee. <laughs> just tax everything. Yeah, yeah just, we just, but just a user fee. Can you just fee. take a breath and tax that? <laughs> yeah. But, don't get into that. Um, so um, we're talking about fire service here, not politics. But um, User fee. So that's what it is, the user fee. Yeah. And, um, and, and i got to say that now because, you know, I'm an advocate for more user fee. Um, but the, um, so the, we cut a deal and we, and we passed it. We passed that, that, and then $2 million every year goes to the fire marshal, which is a pittance, not enough. But, um, and now in fact, this year we have some legislation through the fire marshal's office to get a little more of that money, uh, that, that user fee money into training. And I, we have a nice little present. They, they have, the marshal has a nice presentation that we will be supporting aggressively. Um, so we'll see. Joe Thacker, by the way, the state fire marshal. Mm -hmm. I've never met him. I've heard good things about him. Oh, yeah. He came from down here. Yeah. Um, he, uh, excellent. Excellent. I, I, he's doing a great job. And, uh, but I don't want to digress. Um, so, so, um, so, so now we got to, so they, we are up to, finally, we're saying, hey, we need a state academy like ILEA, mm -hmm. uh, the law enforcement academy. Nobody wants any facility or anything else. Um, they're all nervous about it. How do we maintain it? You know, it's an ongoing expense. You know, you know, and it's just you know we were being we were being Hoosiers. Um, interpret that as cheap, and um, so we. But we finally um, the state marshal's fire marshal's office, Joe Thacker, with 
Um, Steve Cox, the director of Homeland Security, retired out of South Bend. Uh, they they um, have worked with uh, Wade Walling, who is the um, training director at the State Fire Marshal's Office, um, fire training director. They have, they're now part of a facility, a joint facility with Ivy Tech, um, and um, Vincennes is involved and several other entities in what they call the MADE building, M-A-D-E. And I can't, right now I can't remember what the acronym is. But they, um, uh, it's a joint facility and they have a couple of classrooms there, dedicated classrooms. They have dedicated office space and then access to common space in this facility. It's out in Plainfield, um, right across the road from the high school, Plainfield High School. Um, and it's about uh, not far from I, uh, ILEA. In addition to that, they've also acquired, the Marshal's Office has acquired seven acres from the Department of Corrections on um, the Plainfield um, prison um, uh, out there. Mm -hmm. the, um, that, um, that the seven acres behind that, it's, it's actually located between ILEA and the, um, and, the, and the prison. And they're clearing that and they're going to use that as the hands-on training. It's about a mile away from the, from the offices and the classrooms, which is perfect. Mm -hmm. um, I think they'll, uh, not far at all, so you can do your classroom training. We've had um, uh, our first fire chief training um, about a couple months ago. Uh, we passed it in 2019, but because of COVID, we haven't been able to get, get, the, get the program going. So now the law is, at, just like for police chiefs, which have, they've had this law for over 40 years, we're slow in the fire service, brother. They, um, we, we had a week-long training, uh, and it's required. Every new fire chief for a career department has to go through this mm -hmm. um, within a year of becoming fire chief or prior. Um, but they have to within they have to go through this training, and it's a week-long training um, sponsored by the fire marshal's office. We had I think 40 people there um, for the first one, the beta, the beta class. Um, I'm sure the, the, the Wade and, and the Marshal are going to work on it and hone it. Um, they had a lot of great input from the fire chiefs who were there, um, how to make it better and, and how to make it and, and what, what was good and what was bad. And they'll, they'll make those adjustments. So they are working on that. Um, um, and, and that's coming together. Uh, and now uh, we got, like I said, I think that will be, they'll probably do one or two of those a year. Um, I think they'll also be doing some other advanced fire training out there in the, in the, in the future um, and have a curriculum. And what you want is recruit training is, should probably be done regional, uh, uh, regionally. Uh, the fire marshal and the director have a plan. And their plan is, um, is we want a, a facility, an adequate facility, within 45 minutes of every firefighter in the state of Indiana. And I think he said, I don't want to hold them, about 20, we need 20 of these facilities that get some subsidy from the state, you know, whether it's to build the classroom like they did in Evansville or uh, assist with um, pouring a pad. I think they, they did up in, um, in Westfield or in, in Westfield what facility up in, in, in Hamilton County. Um, they, you know, they, but they they want to subsidize and get some of these and use some of these regional trainings. So every firefighter has a location within 45 minutes, career or volunteer, um, that they can learn do their hands-on training. And then, 
Would that be funded also, like for instructors? Would that be locally funded, or would that probably be? It'd be. It would probably be a combination. Um, yeah, be local. Obviously, local funding is the, yeah. the majority of uh, fire uh, of firefighter training is locally funded. I mean, that's just the way mm-hmm. it is. Now, you do know every cop gets a every pl- new police officer. Either they send them to ILEA, or if they do it locally, mm-hmm. they get a subsidy from the state. Um, and that's you know, and and um, and frankly, the police department has done better. They you know, the, the uh, police have done, they have focused on education uh, many years uh, before we did. And we're still catching up. we got a long way to go. Uh, we, you know, I, I know it sounds silly. Um, on my job, Indianapolis, uh, Chief Malone has, now has a curriculum for every new firefighter. They get out of the academy, they get a book. And this is what it's going to take to be lieutenant. This is what it's going to take to be a, a um, captain and a battalion chief. And I'll tell you right now, battalion chief, you've got to have a four-year degree. And that's, you know, and, and you know, and, and it's a wide spectrum, but mm-hmm. some kind, something somehow relates to the fire service. I mean, basket weaving isn't doing it, you know, um, but... But they, you, you know, mean as a degree, yeah. as, a, as a degree, <laughs> that's, and, there's some degrees out there that I've researched that are absolutely insane that yeah. I think is a joke. Yeah. Well, and that and that and they will and they're overseeing that. So <laughs> I'm proud of, of Chief Malone. He's doing those things. And, and, and if you're telling somebody when they're um, 20 to 30 years old, when they come on the job and most people, most majority of our people are in that mm-hmm. age group, um, if they don't really have a four year degree, I mean, if they do a four year degree in an unrelated uh, field, it's very easy to get. The curriculum mm-hmm. and, and get something that's related, whether it's um, you know, SPIA or uh, fire science or something. So it, you know, so they, they. Um, My question yeah. is on that. Yeah. Why is it trying to push for a a four year degree? Would that be a bachelor's, correct? Yes, bachelor's. Uh, going for a bachelor's degree for a battalion chief's position. What is the reasoning behind it? Oh well, if you haven't been, if you're, um, I've never been a battalion chief. I know. So. I've never, I've, well, just for record, <laughs> neither have I. Yeah. <laughs> but I've worked for some real crappy ones, mm-hmm. and I've worked for some excellent ones, and I don't think necessarily it's all about book learning. But today's world is a uh, it, it you uh, it's a litigious, litigious um, world we live in, and in many, many ways. So obviously, you when you're on that run, you have to be able to process, process information. And I do think education helps you do that. And then, you know, um, as they always said about old Alan Br- uh, Brunacini, which mm-hmm. was, a, was a wonderful man, um, as he, I heard him personally say, it's not, you're still going to put fires out. You, you're still going to, you're putting fires out. You're doing a great job already. You just got to look good doing it. You look like you know what you're doing. <laughs> yeah. And you got to be able to explain it. Mm-hmm. And, and, and you need to have reason and logic for what you're doing. And, and I think that education helps you develop those skills to do that as a battalion chief. The other issue you have today are personnel issues. Now, you know, in many departments, there's no, they, they, still departments don't have many women or, um, or, or people of color. Well, you know, it's, it's as you know, it's a lot more, um, a lot more issues going on on those, and you have to be, you have to have the ability to understand, and how to um, conduct, and administer your personnel. Um, I can tell you stories right now that are going on across in the state, that um, you better be have 
you better handle that situation right. And if you don't think it's true, take a minute, get online, and look up police issues. I mean, that, that is not foreign to the fire service internally. So how we handle our personnel and how we deal with, with people, with everything that's going on, and um, we need to be, you need to do it right. You need to have the ability to learn how to do it right. Fair, I mentioned Fair Labor Standards Act, I think, earlier, FLSA. I mean, read it and understand it. First of all, it's a moving target. that constantly changes. Um, the courts make decisions, and that changes the, um, on how you handle and manage FLSA, Fair Labor Standards Act. And understanding how they do the math alone takes a goddamn college degree. I mean, it, you know, it's, it's, it's a, you know, so, and there's more things than that. I mean, you have to understand, you really have to understand what two in, two out rule means. It's a law. It's a federal law. Most, most fire chiefs, I don't think, understand across Indiana. I honestly believe, I shouldn't say most. There are some. You there, could say some. Yeah. There's plenty. <laughs> and if there's one, it's too many. Yeah. And that don't understand with two in, two out. That's there. That's been put in place to save our people, to keep our people safe. And they blow it off like it doesn't exist. Well, you need to understand with that law and with the, with the ramifications of that. So an ability to understand and read and lodge and, 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 and understand it. Again, we have people that are, you know, brilliant that don't have um, uh, that uh, firefighters and historically. But you do you think that it'll discourage guys to go uh, promote because they have to go to college? No, um, I think just the opposite. I think it'll encourage people to go to college to promote. And then who would be? Would this be trying to be pushed for funding? No, this, funding them or just th- them doing it themselves? Th- this them doing, well, it's both. Um, uh, I'm, this is Indianapolis. It's the biggest yeah. department in the state. Yeah, you know, understand. They're also in the capital city, which has access to lots of different education opportunities. If you're in, um, you know, in a, in, a, in a place that's not as convenient, it's more challenging. So you have to follow your culture. What's good for your culture? You know, I don't know. I, I don't want to pick on any department. You know, um, you know, I'll, I'll use Carpentersville because it's an excellent department. You know, got a great mayor, retired firefighter, mm-hmm. and a great chief, and a very progressive department. Um, but, you know, they don't have the exact same needs or resources as a place like Indianapolis or, frankly, a place like Brownsburg, which is basically an urban department anymore, um, or Carmel, you know, and that's the places that we need to, we have to push on education. Now, first and foremost, we have to push on fire education. What's going on in that fire ground to keep those people safe? The second thing you have is what well, we already mentioned PTSD and I've talked too mm-hmm. long about that. Um, but you need to have to know how to recognize that and learn about that and how to handle it. Not just for you, but for to, if you if you have people working for you mm-hmm. as a as a as an officer or command position. Um, and then um, so you need to understand the laws, you need to have understand personnel matters and 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 um, and and how to recognize PTSD. And there's another issue um, I was just about to pop in my head. Um, but that, so there's many reasons we've got to educate our people. But first and foremost is, is the operations thing, part of it. Whether, and, and I say fire ground uh, or EMS, the emergency scene. We have to know how to manage this, need to know how, know how to manage that, and then document it, what they did. Um, 
you know, um, if I always like to say, Lieutenant Jones or Captain Jones pulls up the flame, the the I hate this, the uh, the plane flies into the stadium, Stadium X during the football game. Guess, remember that officer is going to respond during the during the game. All these people have mass casualties is on the scene sizing up the situation, reporting, and they start building that incident based on that initial report mm-hmm. on that officer that's on that, getting off that very career volunteer, by the way. And they, and they and you start building, and if you don't build your foundation when you start, if you don't have the skills to do that, it's going to take a long time to go back and fix the mistakes you made when you didn't size up, you didn't send back the resources because you didn't know what you were looking at. Or that building, that significant building, warehouse or apartment building or or whatever, or high rise. Um, but that initial size up, knowing what you're looking at, that takes education. That takes education. And I'm, I'm speaking this as a private. I'm not competent to do that. I know that. I know a lot about the fire service. I know all about the pension. I know all about PTSD. Mm-hmm. I know about health, wellness and fitness, and I know about labor management. I know a lot of things. But that's not my training. That's my, not my skill set. I, I think I know. I might be able to fake it even, but that's not. And that's, that's that officer need, should know when they get off on that scene, they should be able to s- size up that situation, analyze, size up, and explain it to build what's going to happen next. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't matter, I, I mean, as it, whether you're building or you're on a trash fire or you're on that multi-story, multi-family, or where, huge warehouse. Um, that we have all over, um, I'll, I'll speak to Central Indiana at least, but all over the state. I travel around in some real rural areas. You go down to Jasper, Indiana, and um, I've been down to Senator Brown's business, one of his businesses at least, and he has a million square foot on, uh, under roof in Jasper, Indiana, and inside Jasper, Jasper, with lots of product in it. And you better know what you're doing when you pull up, not because it's his, because it's, it's a big part of that tax mm-hmm. base there. And, and, and there's people, a bunch of people working there. Um, and you, want, you better know what the heck you're doing when you pull up. And so education is, and that's what one of the things you've asked to go back, accomplishments. I think the state is moving, I've been part, I believe, of moving the state towards, and I say I, I mean the Professional Firefighters Union of Indiana, um, towards more emphasis in education. And we have great partners right now. Um, with Steve Cox and Joel Thacker as, as, and, and Wade Walling. Uh, it's a great team we have there. And they, um, uh, and, they, and they believe in it. Steve Cox built a beautiful, beautiful training academy up in South Indiana when he was a, a fire chief up there for eight years. And I mean, it is a fabulous facility. Uh, you know, you go up there and you talk to the guys. They could do this or that's better. Mm-hmm. It's a nice facility that, you, that every firefighter would be proud of. Not on a huge piece of property, but it does everything they need. It's not, not far from downtown. It's a nice, a really nice facility that they, uh, they do all their training at. Uh, I'm, I'm, I know he's proud of that. Should be. Um, but, you know, not everybody has the resources that South Bend has. You know, and, um, and, uh, but, but, we, but, but people need access to that. And, by the way, they use it regionally. I mean, when they have a recruit class, 
um, there's probably five or six departments that are in their recruit mm-hmm. class, and that's that's how it should work. That's that's we need to start thinking bigger how we can do things better together. Um, you know, in the fire service. I was about to ask you where do you where do you hope to see the fire service or union go in the next twenty years? Man. I know it's a really big loaded question. That is a loaded. That's a huge question. Yeah. Um, I, let, let's go with the fire service first. I, yeah. uh, what I'd like to see is more cooperative efforts. Um, you know what irritates me? Wasting resources. And I'll tell you two reasons. Number one, when people waste resources, and resources being money, tax dollars, um, and, and um, when they spend it on, on things that they don't necessarily need. How many, in one county, how many aerial trucks do you need? In one rural county. Now, now I don't know. Again, that's not my skill set. But if people do know, and we need to measure it. And so if you have, let's just use, there's six counties, and all the aerial trucks are aerial trucks, they, for whatever reason, are all on one side of the county. You know, if there's, if, if there's six, well, six, six townships, and there's three on one side, and none on the other side. Well, what, what did we do? You know, how we accomplished that. Now, it goes with run load and, and, run, and, and, and responses, and, and you know, you have to measure everything. But I think I would like to see fire departments look at things regionally. Not necessarily merge, but look at things regionally when spending on resources. And I'll tell you why. When they, when they cut, when they do budget, back in 2006, 7, and 8, when, when the economy tanked mm-hmm. and, they, and tax caps kicked in, all at the same time, it was like a tsunami in Indiana. And I was working the state house. Think about it. Um, and we had people laid off across the state. Local units, what they cut back on was staffing, which is absolutely a, a, a important, most important thing, safety issues, having adequate staffing. Now, I know everybody can't have four or five people on a rig. They can't. It's not possible. But they should have the best they can afford. Um, and they, but they cut, back on, on, they cut back on safety issues, like training and staffing. So, That's all right. I'm sorry. It's okay. <laughs> I thought I had that shut off. Um, um, so they cut back on safety issues, and they cut back uh, on, and number one, the things that necessarily the public didn't see. You know, they put one person in a firehouse. Well, you know, I mean, I'll never forget, I got on one, I won't say what department, and I was um, organizing them, and uh, we were, I was having the union vote, and uh, at night, was a, you know, we had the meetings already, and we had the... A, secret ballot box was at the firehouse this was the one in the northern stations they had three stations and um, and um, and the alert came on and somebody said oh that's a fire so, can I go and they said yeah get on the ladder okay so I get on big beautiful ladder now I was on a ladder at the time mm-hmm. and um, it was a big beautiful ladder and I thought oh, you know, this is neat so I start getting in the back he says no no get in the front <laughs> I said, oh, okay. So I jump in the front and I slide over. What are you doing? And I said, well, I'll make a room for the officer. He said, you're it. Press the siren. And, and, and so I was okay. And, it was, and so they were sending this aerial out. Mm-hmm. This, I, I, it's probably, it was a million dollars probably back then. This is, I, I was local president, so this, this is 25 mm-hmm. years ago. And, um, and the nicest truck I ever rode on. And... Um, 
and they were sending one guy out on this aerial truck. Now, what are you going to do with it? Oh, no. Set it up, and that's it. <laughs> yeah, set it up and walk away from yeah. it. It's a, it looks good. The cameras <laughs> will have it. The, you know, yeah, Channel 6 will have it up, but, you know, whatever, yeah. uh, on the television, but nothing going on with it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, you know, and so, so it, they, they like, politicians like things to take away things that they don't see, and that, that was the safety issues. And let's not kidding me. I'm a mercenary. The other thing they take away is wages, and they hurt our people. Mm-hmm. Listen, we only go to work. We only go to work to raise our families. And if that's the beginning and the end of life, is what raising our families, taking care of our loved ones. And um, now we love the job. Get it. Don't get me wrong. But, um, you know, lots of times we'd like to go to the ball game mm-hmm. or the birthday party or stay, stay home with the people you love and watch bad movies. You know, whatever that thing is mm-hmm. you'd rather do. But you go to work. And, uh, and, and, you need, and you need to be properly compensated to go to work so you can support them. That's why you go to work, to raise your family. Um, get, get them in a good school, you know, and, and, um, and keep them healthy. Uh, and that's, and so, so, uh, so what I'm saying to you is the future of the fire service, more cooperation, quit, quit wasting um, resources. Um, and, 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 and let's maximize the limited resources we have. Um, Alan Bernicini, I mean, I've been, if you've ever been to Phoenix, they, mm-hmm. back in the day, they have, a, they have a nice training academy in, in Phoenix. And, 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 and Bruno, um, I give him credit, and he would tell you I have all these people that do this. But I have all the slogans in front of the classroom. One, and and I, I, there were I, I, a dozen of them, maybe more, uh, in the front of the classroom. But I do remember one distinctly. I can see it in my mind right now. Egos eat brains. And my God, that's the truest statement I ever heard, in the fire service especially. If you think you know it all, if you think you're the smartest guy, you're the dumbest in the fire service because nothing's ever the same and you need help every minute and you've got to rely on each other. But egos eat brains. So my point is that's what these, some of these mm-hmm. things we do. We, we have to learn to cooperate. We have to learn to work together. Not necessarily combine, but work together and live off each other and, and, and support each other. You may have, that department may have an aerial truck. This one might need a hazmat um, uh, team or vehicle. Um, this department over here might need um, a, a, a water team or an extra engine. I don't, you know, I, you know mm-hmm. but those, but they. Whatever can, specifics they need. They, they, they yeah, can based on what that. that, their geography, their needs, that culture. But don't just say, it's all mine. Uh, Captain, wonderful guy. He's still around. Um, my firehouse, my fire engine, my men back then. And, um, you know, we don't own any of this stuff. It's all with temporary, you know, we're just temporary. And what we do is try to manage it and make the best use of it while you're, while you're operating it, you know, um, and support people. And, you know, we don't own it. We're just here. And you got to make sure. So, so like, if, some, if that fire chief thinks I have the best, I need, I need this to look good, yeah, you shouldn't be fire chief. You know? And we have guys that do the same thing, you know, rank and file. Let me just talk about one other thing that, that, that's important. We started talking um, about the state house. The other thing is that we don't we I, we need to do better in the fire service is listen. Now, pretty hard. I'm not a good listener necessarily, and um, but we have to. The, the most the best class, the most most valuable class I ever took at IEPUI, Fine Learning Institution, um, was literally listening. 
it was a lot of work. It was a one-hour class, and it was a lot of work, and you did lab work and all, and, it, and you learned to listen and learned at different speeds and what you can do and how to listen. And a lot of our, a lot of our members that suffer the same thing, that you know, the ADHD mm -hmm. um, and, and, and all, um, that's, that's a skill that they have to practice, and it takes a lot of work. And you got to listen. And now I, you do got to do that in training. Where else you got to do that? At the state house, you got to do it. You got to listen, figure out what people were saying, how to work, how to work things through, but also at the bargaining table, you got to listen. Got to listen both sides. Got to listen to each other. I tell people during the negotiations when I do labor management programs, uh, the the the, the you, what you do is you bring your proposals, you explain them, and then you shut up. And then you ask, and then you then you ask questions about when they say no, tell us why. There's no money. Okay. Then you've got to come back and show them where the money is. Then you've got to come back and, sh and explain to them why they can do this. Um, one of the things when I was local president, we, got, um, we went to a 48-hour work week in Indianapolis, the first time, first place in Indiana that uh, we got a 48-hour work week. And I did a lot of listening in that contract, very contentious contract negotiations. Um, but I did a lot of listening. And they would say that we can't do it because of this. The controller was a wonderful man, a guy named Jim Steele, uh, was the city uh, comptroller, and he, um, and I would listen why we can't do it, and I'd come back with solutions on how to pay for it each time. We got it done, and that was, uh, and that was that. And during that, I kept on talking about safety and health and mental health and all, and I don't mind telling you. I'm not sure I was being that sincere about some of those things. I was a little cynical about some of the things I was saying. You know what? Once we got it done, absolutely true. Mental health, physical health, all improved by getting a, a different work schedule where people had a break, mm -hmm. had a chance to um, not work constantly. Um, you know, you, 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 you at work, um, you know, the next day you're worn out. Um, the next day, you revving up to go back to work. Um, that's a 24 48 schedule. I know different schedules around different around the state, but um, but that you know. But but my point is, listening. They kept saying no, and I and I kept asking why. And when they tell me, I addressed it, and it worked. We got it. We got it done in that contract. So I don't want to keep you all morning, but there's one thing I do want to talk about. I know it's almost 10 o'clock. I know. So we'll make this last part uh, pretty quick. We talked a little earlier before we started recording about communication, especially communication with the administration and uh, operations. What's something that you've noticed in your career that has helped with that, with trying to reach out with the administration? Well, a couple of things that have helped. Um, one is uh, some of the laws we passed. Uh, so... Again, I mentioned there's no mm -hmm. revolutions. We're not getting binding arbitration. I'm not sure that's what we want uh, in Indiana, where we, you know, all we wind up doing is having the lawyers settle everything. Trust me, that's not a good op a good business model. I've been around the country, um, but we're mandated. Uh, if you have if your department has a is organized, and when I say organized, I'm not talking about a union. I'm talking about you have an organized employee group that actually takes time, gets together, um, elects an officer, a spokesperson, not necessarily an officer, a spokesperson, pay dues or not pay dues, and you have an employee group that you 
they have to recognize if you get together and, and, and uh, apply for it through the, um, through the, the, the unit of government, um, they have to sit down once a year and listen to your issues. Um, you know, your basic issues on, on, uh, in the department, working conditions and pay. And they have to listen. And when you do that, if you do that the right way, and you come up with, you also bring solutions with you for all these things. And that opportunity to sit down and listen and man, I know it sounds silly, you shouldn't have to mandate that. That's, that's how people work, that's how it works at home. If you, if you have a successful home life. Um, it has how it works in any in any relationship, friendships, um, of mutual interaction, but but we have to um, sit and, and and listen to each other. Now, you so you can make them sit down and listen to you. Mm-hmm. Um, not everybody does. I've had I can give you a number of cases pending right now. Um, so that that's that's the main thing. The other thing is. Um, you know, I, I met with a bunch of recruits um, from, they, they were out of um, Avon, and there was uh, several departments there um, in that group. And I said, you know, you've got you've to think about where you work. And whether you live where you work or not, you've got to contribute. And, and what do you bring to the table? Marguerite, bring back my mm-hmm. mom, Marguerite. When I was a kid, we were poor, and, and we would go for a drive. You know, she, was, she learned that she didn't know how to drive. When my dad, my dad died, and she learned to drive, and if you didn't have any money, you go for a drive out to Long Island and look at the prop, look at all the nice homes that you couldn't afford. And uh, so she, I mean, that's what we did. It was, you know, when we stopped somewhere and get an ice cream cone, you know, it was a mm-hmm. big deal. So, um, and then maybe on the way back, we would stop at a cousin's house or something. You'd go visit somebody on the way back, and maybe have a little cookout or something or dinner. And um, but we would stop at the. Oh, we have to stop at the bakery. You know, New York has those old, lots of old bakeries and stuff back then. And it's kind of like northwestern Indiana. Um, and so we'd stop at the bakery. And she said, and I said, Mom, what are you going to stop? We, we don't bring anything. She says, oh, no. You always bring a little something for the table. You never go empty-handed. You always bring a little something. And I know it sounds silly. So when you go, and if you do have that opportunity to sit down, what are you bringing to the table as, a, as labor? What are you bringing to that city to make things better, that community to make things better? What are you contributing? I'll, I'll never forget when Keith Smith, we came up and Smitty and I would do things together, um, the old fire chief in Indianapolis when I was local president. And he would always bring something to the table at budget time. So we'd have the city county council public safety committee and you'd have to present the budget. And we would brainstorm, he, along with other people you have, and come up with ideas of what, how they could sell our product, the fire service. And don't, you've got to understand, it is a product, and you've got to sell it. Um, that's responsibility we have. And I'll never forget um, one time we were talking about what our people do. So all the good works they do. They're coaches, they're, they're, you know, they're co- little league and high school mm-hmm. coaches, they're um, community leaders, they're public servants in other ways, um, and they do all these things, you know, families, um, just, just lots of different interesting things that they did. So we created a little, it was a booklet actually, a little profile, I, I think out of back then it was about 750 people, 
And we profiled, I think, a couple hundred people, or nearly a couple hundred people that um, had a picture and just say, look what our people contribute to this community. Think about who they are. You know, and on top of that, they, cool. most of them all have families. Mm-hmm. And we talked about that. Um, so, you know, so when we, we go to contract in Indianapolis, we go in with our resume, we call it. And we walk in and we put all the things um, that we do, that we've contributed um, to, to, uh, to the city. Um, the FDIC is always part of it. You know, what we participate. You know, MDA, di- different things. We have a, you know, there's a, you know, we try and keep it down to one sheet, but it's a list of things that we, we do to contribute to our community we serve. Now it's time to pay us. <laughs> <laughs> That's the mercenary coming out. Yeah. But, but you have to sell your product. So, so um, you know, I talked about building a new building downtown. Well, I, you know, I, I, don't, I don't mind telling you. It's a great little facility. It's a wonderful facility. You know, we do lots of events there. I don't know if you've been there or not. But um, it, it's in a, in a very visible location, and we do different uh, social events and political events there. So we use it for all that. And then we have the Survivor Live program that, you know, is gearing back up again, you know, after COVID, but, you know, going over 10,000 kids a year through there. When we're building a new addition, a lot of those workers would talk to me. I'd be around every day. and They'd say, yeah, when I was a kid, I went through this program. And that made me proud. Mm-hmm. You know, it was cool. But, um, but um, and the museum, you know, nobody saved our history except us. We are now of our archivist. Uh, Brian Kildare is an archivist, uh, with, you know, and then we have the memorial. We just, a couple weeks ago, we just did the uh, annual memorial service. Well, and down in, well, you know, and, 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 and so the building's a neat facility for mm-hmm. all those reasons. It's great, right? It's a marketing. It's all about marketing our product. We do that memorial service so this community is reminded of what our people sacrificed and their families sacrificed and the people that are working 24-7, the people in uniform standing there right now, may happen to them. You have to emphasize that. And don't be proud. You have to make sure you remind them. That's who we are. And, and if you don't have any line-of-duty deaths, you know, the drama, the fact you got to remind them that it can happen any moment and you're there to protect them. You know what nobody's done? You know, you know, you know what I didn't get in the last two years? Not one phone call? I didn't get one phone call from one of our brothers or sisters saying, oh, I can't go to work. It's COVID. I didn't get a single one. Now, let me ask you something, Matt. How proud are you of that? Our people, you know, we talked about, you know, and you know what else we didn't get? We didn't get any PPE. I, I'm not knocking anybody. And we did it. We dealt with it. Mm-hmm. And we did it quiet. We just did our job. Everybody went to work. There's a different mentality, which I've seen across the board. Across, I'm not all knowledgeable. I'm learning myself. There is a huge difference between what we do as a career versus a lot of others. Normal people. Correct. <laughs> normal people. And here's the thing. I, abnormal. I'm not saying we are We are very abnormal. I I jokingly say we're idiots. Like yeah. it's We go into... We as in our organizations, our departments, we go into burning buildings, which that already doesn't make you a sane person. It makes you an insane person. But when you see danger, you're like, I'm going. When you have COVID, I I agree with you. I never heard one guy saying, I'm not going to come into work because of this. We, we, or girl, you know what I tell them? You know what I tell them? That's right. When I, I, I tell them in the halls, I represent 
I represent the finest men and women in North America. Mm -hmm. And, and um, I say that. And you know, because, and I believe it with all my heart. I'm not saying everybody's infallible and everybody's perfect, because we're not, including myself. You got bad apples but, everywhere. Well, bad apples and dumbasses. <laughs> but, but, I, but overall, the finest group of people you ever want to be with are firefighters, EMTs, and paramedics. Good, good people. Just want to make a living. Mm -hmm. They all know they're not getting rich doing this. They're here to make a living and, and, um, and enjoy life a little bit. And, uh, and they, and they and feel good about what they're doing. And they want to do something different every day. Um, it's, it's, um, it, it's tremendous. But like I said, and, and then when, when, when um, people said, they, now I got calls about, hey, we're, not, we're on these ambulances, we're picking up these people, and we're not getting any PPE. And you know what? They didn't. They didn't get it. We were not on the priority list, firefighters, but not for, for, for protective gear. And a lot of people, and you know what they did? Went out and picked up the people and took care of their patients mm -hmm. without the adequate uh, supplies. I'm not saying everyone, but they didn't. And, uh, and, they, and you know, I mean, they, they, they never complained, but they questioned. Uh, but nobody said, <coughs> I'm not going to work. Um, I'm proud. I'm, I mean, you know, looking, looking back at that and, uh, and, and through this two years of, um, of COVID, um, we, we've, we think about it. Think about the people we represent, we work with, we work for. I work for personally, and um, I, I, you know, I don't think there is a fine. I, I, you know, I, I say that to people and I laugh about, you know, you know, finest group of women, women, but it's really the truth. I mean, nobody's getting rich doing this. They're doing it because of their love of mankind, love of each other, love of mankind. They also like the adrenaline rush. Oh yeah, and you know, man, that's it's addicting. I mean, yeah, that's addicting. <laughs> it is addictive, man. There's nothing like getting on a ring. I mean, I miss it. I didn't do it. You know, I wish I did it longer. And and you know, the other thing I miss the coffee table, mm -hmm. sitting at that coffee table, communicating. I love you know nothing better than um, coming back at um, at 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 five in the morning, and somebody say, hey, subby, go get the donuts at Longs. And um and um, the, the good donuts at Longs, but you go to get those and sit around a coffee table and you get three dozen for ten people or something, mm -hmm. you know, a few left over for the next shift. Oh, and yeah. and um, if and, there is, <laughs> and you'd be slamming coffee and drinking and getting that sugar mm -hmm. rush and um and and head out to, for your day. Of course, probably crash and burn about one p.m. <laughs> but uh, but that but but that you know but but I, those things are tremendous, and the, and especially if you did a good job, you want to sit there at that table. Everybody's showered up and everything when you get back and um. And uh, and talk about what you did and feel good about what you did or, or even what you did wrong, which could do better. And uh, yeah, hell, man, it's the best thing in the world, greatest job in the world. People say it, and you, you hear it a lot. But man, it's true, isn't it? I it mean, is true. And, I mean, it's true. And and on the, the you know, I always say, um, we, you know, people talk to me about, well, what fire department should you, um, should you apply for? I always put your, your department on that mm -hmm. list, by the way, that you apply for, and. Um, and I, um, I, I look at it and, and, and say, um, you know, the worst, but the worst job on this list, the worst department, the worst department I would least work for is a wonderful job. <laughs> and think about that shit. <laughs> you can't, you can't, you can't make it up, brother. Yeah. I mean, and it's, and, and, you know, and now it's, it's not for everybody. I get that. But it's for, for when, when you go through the work to get on one of these fire departments, whatever that work is, the testing process or the EMT or paramedic school or whatever it is you angle for, 
when you get on there, I mean, I, I mean, I talked to a lot of people coming through the union hall, and uh, it, um, I haven't met anybody who says, you know, I should have been an accountant. <laughs> I should have practiced law. <laughs> I got, we got lawyers on the job. <laughs> they say, I don't want to do that. I don't do homework for a living. I want to work for a living. Um, but anyway, um, and the other thing is, like Marguerite said, dear old Marguerite, never get laid off. Most of the time, unless you're in a few places. And, um, and you got a job with a pension. And the other thing you add on is health insurance. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it all could be better. But, it's, but you can raise your family, and that's, that's really the meaning of life is taking care of your family and being a good person. With that, Sorry. I didn't get to talk about everything, but I sure uh, hope I didn't bore you to death. You didn't bore me to death at all. You were actually very entertaining. Sir, I want to say thank you so much for just taking the time out of your morning to come and talk to me. You're welcome. Happy right. to do it. Well, thank you, sir. Hey, you made it to the very end of the video. Thank you so much for sticking all the way through. I really hope that you enjoyed it. Again, go ahead and like, comment, subscribe to the channel. Also hit that little bell button and get notified whenever I make new content. Please let me know what you thought of it down in the comments section. It would mean a lot to me. Also, go follow me on uh, Instagram and Facebook, More With Stumpo, More With Stumpo Podcast. Thank you guys so much and gals, and I hope you guys have a very blessed week.